Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Okay, peers. How many of you identify as a perfectionist? Now, keep your hand raised if your perfectionism often leads to procrastination. Yep, I get you. Trust me, my hand is raised too. So what's the solution? How do we actually overcome that fear of criticism and failure and just do the damn thing? Well, you do it scared. That's the advice from this week's guest, Vanessa Hastandela-Gill, who is the CEO and co-founder of Social Cypher, an online gaming platform for neurodivergent youth, helping them explore their social-emotional skills. Vanessa joins the podcast today to chat about growing up neurodivergent, and how truly believing yourself can be one of the greatest mechanisms for dealing with change. She walks us through her own personal method for checking in on herself, how to tackle a scarcity mindset, and how great things happen when you allow yourself to open up to others. Before we dive in, I want to remind you to please share this episode, take a screenshot right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at the Peers Project, so that together we can share today's message and conversation with our peers out there who may just need to hear it. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Vanessa. Vanessa, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing and ed tech and neurodiversity, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I'm just super pumped to be here and to just help out. And hopefully the things I've learned and that I have to share will resonate with folks. So much to talk about. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, so my name is Vanessa Castaneda Gill. I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Social Cipher. And at Social Cipher, basically what we do is we build social emotional learning games for neurodivergent youth. And then we build software that helps professionals like teachers and counselors better understand their kids' social emotional well-being. Our games are all about a space pirate protagonist whose name is Ava. She's autistic and she explores the galaxy, recruiting pirates, learning about herself and finding her community. And it's a great way to represent kids, help them feel seen and also help adults better understand how to support the kids in their lives. Oh my goodness. It's so cool, Vanessa. Loving the pirates. I'm loving all the things. And I can't wait to dive deeper into kind of how you got into this. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? How has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, great question. So I have grown up in Southern California, but I am a child of divorce. So I have moved to different places throughout Southern California and have spent my childhood in like different regions. And also with SoCal and with Los Angeles in general, it is so many different vastly different cities and communities within that area. So everywhere I kind of went growing up was just kind of a different world with different people, different values. I just think that helped me become a well-rounded person that just understood a lot. And I'm also mixed race, so I've understood a lot about the different cultures I am a part of. I also think that my culture and the way that I've grown up, I was predominantly raised by the Mexican side of my family. And I think that has influenced a whole lot about just how growing up has gone for me and what I do today. My mom was in education, but she actually never got her college degree. So she made it super, super important constantly that we were learning, even when we did not have the money to go and do a bunch of educational opportunities, she would take us to free museum days or take us to different places to learn about how the trees grew and why the sky was blue. And I think also being Mexican-American, there was very early on instilled this sense of pride and of working super hard and being extremely resourceful with however little it was that you got to just make something of yourself and really create pride for your family. And that is something that I've constantly carried with me to this day. I love asking that question because I think it so plays a role in kind of who we are and then what we decide to do. And I love that for you, you know, it was that Mexican-American piece, just like hard work, hustle, make it happen, deal with what you've got, what little that you have and make the most. And I also love that your mom sounds like a boss, you know, that idea of education played such a big role. I guess growing up different homes, moving between mom and dad, you know, what was one of your biggest learnings throughout that time? I think I learned early on how to grow up pretty fast because I realized that the adults in your life, while they can be super loving and super supportive and great. They're all just people and we're all just figuring it out no matter how old you are. So that's one thing I learned. I think I learned pretty early on about like boundaries and forming my own opinions and also about adapting to change. I'm also autistic and ADHD. And for me, adaption to change is super, super difficult. Something I still struggle with to this day. But I think that huge change in my life of my parents divorcing and moving to a completely different city, region, 
and going to middle school somewhere else. That really pushed my boundaries, helped me grow up more. And I think I would have been a totally different person had any of that not happened. Love to dive into your neurodivergency and kind of your struggles and what you've had to deal with. Talk us through what that has meant having ADHD and then that resistance to change or just finding it even tougher than the rest of us. How did that show up for you as you were growing up, perhaps into college? What was that like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've talked to my mom about this a couple of times. Very prevalent. So when I was younger, it was pretty basic stuff. I remember when we were moving out of my childhood home and my parents were moving into their different respective homes. I was like, okay, wait, but can I take my stuff with me? And my mom was like, of course, of course you can take your stuff with you. But I was still having trouble processing. So I would just go to her for every single thing. And I'm like, does that include my bed? Does that include my toys? And what about this and that? And so like, it definitely came in in that way. Also, you know, the transition to high school. And yeah, I mean, even my parents remarrying and getting into relationships with different people, like, that was huge as well. And in college, I think it was definitely like the change of pace in academics and this idea of like learning how to learn and learning how to ask for help that was very huge. And then I think today it's actually shown up the most. Very recently, I realized that I was developing a little bit of a fear of success. We have gotten to this place in our company that I would have never dreamed of at the time that I started this. And This is the year where we have so many great resources. We're really like stable. And I previously thought like before this even happened that like if I had ever gotten to this point, I would be so amazed and so psyched. And I am. But I also am facing this idea of things are going to grow and things are going to change. And I am excited for that. But I'm also kind of terrified because things are never going to be the same that they were. And what if this right here is my golden era and I don't even know it yet and it's going to pass me by and I won't even appreciate it for what it is. And so like, that's the kind of stuff that'll go through my mind. And like, I think as an autistic person, that consistency, the routine, the predictability is always just super important. And I just so happen to pick the least predictable and least... (laughs) stable job ever. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's for sure. I so resonate with what you're saying. I think for those of us who aren't autistic and don't go through what you go through, I think still there's that little bit that comes in. I'm scared for change. I'm scared for what could be. And as much as it may be even better, or maybe it's going to be worse though. And, you know, and I think so many of our peers out there listening probably feel that, you know, whether it's deciding to make the move full time into your side hustle or whether it's graduating college and choosing to go and start your business or pursue your business versus getting a job. What advice would you give to us about getting comfortable with change? Well, I guess I could start this with a story because this is a very good example of something that happened last year where I really got into this mindset of change. But Basically, I've been doing work with Social Safer for about four and a half years now. For the first three and a half years of Social Safer, I never paid myself or paid myself consistently. So like there would be times where I felt like we were doing relatively well and I was like, okay, I'll give myself like a little bit of money to survive. There we go, like bare minimum. And then any time that 
we weren't doing well, or I could foresee that other people would need the money more than I did. I was like, nope, not paying myself. And that was just like a constant, super unstable struggle. And the moment where I realized I needed to just like bet on myself and finally jump into giving myself a full-time salary after three and a half years of working on this and after raising hundreds of thousands of dollars, mind you. But I remember I was talking to my co-founder, Lucy, and she was like, Vanessa, do you not believe in your ability to continue doing this? You need to like bet on yourself and recognize that you are worth this and that funding yourself is going to be a mechanism for you to continue to deal with the change in the future and for you to continue to thrive and to guarantee that funding in the future for yourself. And she just was like, get over yourself. You need to give yourself a salary. Just like, damn it, come on. And so I did. And that completely changed everything. And I was like, wow, I'm stable. And I feel like even my work is more valuable now because I am really getting myself what I need and what I deserve. And it was also not a very high salary, but it was consistent money, which was something different. So I think that like really thinking about what this change means for you and spinning it positively is really important of like, how is this resistance to change protecting me? But also how is it harming me? <laughs> like, I think that was really huge because I felt like on some level it was protecting us because I was like, I still have money saved if we need something for an emergency. But it was also super hurting me because I wasn't able to like feel stable. So I think weighing those out of like the pros and cons of this change and why it matters to you so much, whether that's positively or negatively, is like the first step. And the second is recognizing just how much it'll help you as a long-term investment and what could go right. Because I think a lot of the time, at least for me, I tend to constantly go to the worst case scenario and be like, what is the thing that will go wrong? What are all the scenarios that are going to go wrong so that I have control over this, which is an illusion. And like, I don't think we ask this question of what can go right with this? What could be awesome about this? And that's really important. So important. And I'm so glad that you brought up the paying yourself thing. I think I resonate with that so much. I mean, I didn't pay myself for, I think it was about three years, you know, maybe just over. And I so resonate with that. And I don't think it's talked about enough. You know, I think we see entrepreneurs online and everything that we're doing and all the incredible things that we are building, which is true. But what goes on in the background, the amount of sacrifice that actually happens on a personal front and sometimes to our detriment, as you said, like sometimes we get so comfortable in that sacrifice headspace that we almost forget to invest in ourselves. I think it's something that's so not talked about. For you, when you were building in those first three and a half years and not paying yourself, where was your head at? And, you know, you mentioned that your co-founder helped you make the transition, but I want to dive a bit deeper into that. What did you have to let go of in order to make that transition and actually step into that? I really had to step into this idea that I was worth it. And that was super important. I also had to let go of this scarcity mindset. I think that growing up where my mom pretty much raised us and like, Money was tight a lot of the time because she was unfortunately laid off because of just we were in the U.S. like economic crisis and things just did not go our way a lot. And so I got very, very used to saving and really only buying stuff when I super needed it. And I think that's a huge strength. It's led me to be the resourceful, scrappy person that I am. But 
it also leads to like this scarcity mindset of I will never get these chances again. I will never get this money again. There is no guarantee. And there is no guarantee. But also you need to make sure that you are adequately like filled up and feeling good in order to seek out those next opportunities because there actually are a lot of them out there and there will always be these chances. And so I think letting go of that scarcity mindset was huge. And I think there was also a small part of me that still didn't believe we could be a viable business, even though there have been so many things that had happened that had proven to me we could. But I kind of had this idea that like I had to suffer and that it had to be hard and that I had to really be perfect and blow things out of the water to deserve this salary. But it was this idea of like, I have to earn it. And because I'm a perfectionist, there was no way I was going to earn it by those guidelines. Nothing was ever going to be perfect. And I set way too high standards for myself. And I was just like, I got to chill. I'm already operating on empty because I am not making the wage I need to, to be comfortable. So that had to change too. How can we get better at investing in ourselves, even when it feels uncomfortable? I kind of a tried and true method for myself that's really helpful. And it does not work like clockwork. I forget to do it a lot, but it has been super helpful. What I do usually is every month or so, I'll just kind of write in a journal and be like, where in all the like values of my life, family, friends, relationships, work, where am I feeling fulfilled? What feels like it's lacking? How full do I feel in each of these things? And where do I need to add some tweaks? That has been a super important tool for me of just figuring out like, oh, hey, I've been neglecting my friends and family a lot. Like I really haven't reached out to anyone. And maybe that's why I'm feeling so burned out at work because that's all I'm doing. And so it's kind of this balancing act of just checking in on all the values and areas of your life. Doesn't have to be like super goal and number oriented. I already know that doesn't work for me because it feels too much like work. But just that check-in and conversation with yourself is super helpful. To get to that first step of realizing like what kind of investment in yourself needs to happen. So I think that's really important. I also think looking at the goals for your company or your project, your side hustle, whatever it is, and seeing what you need to get there and what level you need to be at to get there is super important as well. Because then you're going to realize, even if you're not realizing through the frame of yourself and your own well-being, even if you're not there yet, you're like, okay, investing in myself is actually necessary to get to these goals I have for myself. Therefore, I must. And that's what you have to start with if you were at a place like me where I was like, my well-being does not matter in the well-being and company when like, of course it does. It literally dictates how well your company does and it's huge. What was your last check-in with yourself like and which area did you identify that you needed to fill up? The big area that I've not filled up yet and I'm trying to fill out is having some kind of creative outlet or hobby. I used to absolutely pride myself before Social Safer on being a jack of all trades and having all these different talents and interests. Like that's the kind of person I was known for being. And then the thing that happens when you start a startup, especially in like a niche area, is you become a super expert in a very, very specific thing and you don't have time for anything else. I mean, I think over these last four years, that's kind of what's happened. And I've really become a lot more of like a singular yet deep knowledge person rather than a jack of all trades. And I've realized that I actually want to go back to being, you know, that jack of all trades person, at least a little bit, because 
being that person is what led me to start this company in the first place. I started this out of like an interest in neuroscience, in stories, in the neurodivergent experience. And that's why I brought all these areas together to create this. And I think that like creating things and innovation really stems from taking all these different worlds and areas and bringing them together in ways that no one ever really thought about. And in order to do that, I need to engage in more stuff that is not at all related to my industry. I'm trying to take a pottery class. I'm trying to do bartending. I just want to do like cool, interesting things. And I really think that that not only will help me feel fulfilled personally and feel like an interesting person, but I also think it's going to help my business. Maybe I'm going to learn something about pottery that I can apply to my business plan. Who the heck knows? I absolutely love that. I think it's such a good reminder. And I think you're so right. I mean, that's what you do when you start a business. You just go so deep. And I think it's just so true. That was such a reminder for me. There is so much value in taking that bit of a step back and still giving your all in what you're doing in that niche area, but being able to complement it with, you know, allowing yourself to dive into other areas that you're passionate about. I think it's so valuable. I kind of want to dive into social sci-fi. I think you were just graduating from college and you decided to kind of pursue this business. Talk to us a little bit about where that idea for your company came about and what were those first few steps you took to really get it off the ground? This definitely requires a little bit of background. So I found out that I was autistic and ADHD when I was 14. I had a lot of difficulties with the stereotypes of autism back then. A lot of it was really like the only representation really was like mostly boys, very robotic, cold and calculating people that, you know, could not connect with others. And that's the representation I had. So that was the mold I tried to fit myself into. And of course, that did not work. Like, I really tried to just take control of the situation and cut myself off from emotions and connecting with people because I was like, apparently, I can't do that. So why am I going to even subject myself to failing at it? So I really tried to do that. Of course, that is not good for you. Do not disconnect from others and isolate yourself and try to do everything on your own. And so I suffered from a lot of mental health issues. I went into really bad depression, developed some pretty gnarly anxiety and had like abysmal self-esteem and low key, I hated myself. Like it was very bad and it really took a toll on me. And so the one thing I did have was like my grades and I was super, super steadfast on getting into school. I knew that my family could not pay for college. So I was super focused on getting a scholarship. And I decided I'd go into neuroscience because I was fascinated by it. Also, I kind of wanted to use it to fix and understand my brain as sad as that is and like to see if there was a way I could change it because I thought there was something wrong with me. And so I went into neuroscience was really, really fortunate to get a full ride scholarship. And I started learning about neuroscience, fell in love with it, also realized over time that there were people around me that I really liked and accepted and that they accepted and liked me in return. I had never really felt that before. And so I just started finding my people, I think. And once I did that, I was like, wait, so clearly I can connect with people. It just like depends on who those people are. And like, I don't think I was ever broken. It's actually that I just needed different ways to learn and to thrive and I needed different support. And so I kind of put 
that personal experience together with my love for neuroscience and my love for stories and media, which I also used a lot to understand human interaction. And I put that all together. And I remember I was like in one of my college dorm lounges and I was reading a neuroscience book and I was like, this would be really cool. I'm going to try this. And I like had this notebook and I wrote in it and I was just like, listing all the people I knew that could potentially help with it. And I was just like trying to connect them to like all the ways they could help. And then I just little by little started telling people. The other thing was that I had been so ashamed of my diagnosis that I had not told anybody about it. So like I knew these people for a while at this point and I had hid my diagnosis for like six years from the ages of like 14 to 21. And in order to talk about this idea, I had to start talking about why. And that included me being autistic and ADHD. And so like my co-founders or the people that helped me first were like the first people to learn about my conditions. And it proved to me they were super accepting. They were like, all right, cool. How do you want to build this? Like (laughs) it did not matter. And I think like that was something I super needed to really feel confident to go forth and build it all. We really just started entering pitch competitions. I started Googling people on the internet and asking all my professors about who the heck knows about video games or about neurodivergent youth. And I just talked to everyone I could. And that was really how it started. I just think it's so fascinating how when we open up about some of the toughest things that we think people won't accept us for, that we are just internally really ashamed about, that's when things start to flow and that's when great things happen. And I know it's like people would think, oh, that's such a line, but it genuinely, I mean, in your case, you're the exact representation of that. What advice would you give to us around finding our people who we feel that we can be open with? So one advantage to being autistic for many autistic folks is that you are very honest and you are very authentic and very loyal. Those are like, very common things. This is not everyone who is autistic, but like very true for me. I cannot lie and I can't really be anyone but myself. <laughs> There's just like not much of a filter there. And I think that really figuring out who you are, what you're passionate about, and most importantly, like what your values are was super important in finding those people. I couldn't name it when I was younger and I didn't know that they were my values, but there were a lot of times where I was like, I don't like the way that this person talks about other people or like, I don't like the way that this person like does so-and-so. And so I started to like name those things of, oh, it's super important to be really loyal to people. It's very important to care about social issues. And not that every person in my network had to have all of those things, like have this whole checklist, but you know, you just want to find people that fundamentally share your passions and values. And I think also a great test is like a lot of the time in high school, I would mask a lot of the things I did because I knew I would get made fun of. So like I had a stim where I would like blink too much and it was just my body's way of like regulating all the stimuli around me. Or sometimes I stand too close to people or like I get super excited about things that are in my special interests and I will talk about them nonstop. And if people weren't receptive to that and just said rude things, those were not the people for me. Maybe if they were confused and they didn't understand, like that's a good point where it's really important to know about yourself and to advocate for yourself and just be like, oh, hey, you know, I may be doing this thing that is not a typical thing to do, whatever that is. But 
this is me. This is how I function. This is how it helps me. And if people are more understanding of that and they're open and willing to be educated about that, that's a good sign. That's great. I think it's that. I think it's also just connecting to folks who will enthusiastically engage in your passions with you and really cheer you on and encourage you and are also willing to be open and vulnerable with you and make you feel safe to be open and vulnerable with them. Oh, look, Vanessa, it has been such a great chat. I really, really appreciate it. We've got a couple of final questions. And so the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win? So I think that it's a number of them. There have been a number of times where I definitely sabotaged our progress because I wanted things to be perfect. Like our launch, launching our game could have happened earlier. Me like doing sales could have happened earlier. Just like producing our game series, all of that could have happened earlier if I had just been like, yo, done is better than perfect. I need to stop researching and planning and just go do it. And like, I'm going to do it scared and it's probably going to suck. And in a year, I'm probably going to cringe at like how that first version looked, but it is going to be freaking done. And so like, I wish I had learned that sooner. And I think it's something I'm still getting over, but getting over the perfectionism because Honestly, being perfect is absolutely impossible in entrepreneurship and it should be because you wouldn't get anything done otherwise. And your greatest win? I think my greatest win actually was in partnership with my co-founder, Lucy. So shout out to Lucy. We started out back in college with like five co-founders and Lucy and I did not previously know each other. She was the only one in our co-founder group that I did not personally know. It was someone that my co-founder, Charlie had brought in, he was friends with her. And as time went on, the three of our other co-founders of the five, they started leaving. We knew it was going to happen. They had held off their career placements in their grad school or med school to work with us for a longer time, which I'm very grateful for. But it also meant that like both Lucy and I developed dependencies on our product and business co-founders. And then they left. And then we were like, we don't know each other that well. We don't know how to work with each other. Like, (laughs) I hardly know you. Like, what are we going to do? And I think that we really, really had to grow into our leadership roles and become independent because we were so dependent on the opinions of, you know, our team as a whole. And once they weren't there anymore, we were like, oh, shoot. And then Lucy and I are also very similar, yet also very different people. And we really had to learn how to work with each other you know, how to build trust with each other and really continued to have to like build each other up and like believe in ourselves. I think that's been a huge, huge achievement. And now I can't imagine working with anyone else. Shout out to Lucy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love it. Look, Vanessa, over the last four and a half years in starting your company, you've really gone strength to strength. Throughout it all, all the chaos, there's been so many wins. And funnily enough, most recently, you actually were featured the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, which is how we found you. What are three key pieces of advice that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Ask for help. Done is better than perfect. <laughs> Always have something outside of your hustle to engage in that you love. Ah, I love it. Oh, look, Vanessa, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. 
the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us, you know, in particularly us, diverse, different, neurodivergent, those of us who are women out there, that if we have this goal, this passion, this dream, we actually can make it a reality, even though the journey will not be perfect. If we invest in ourselves, we will get there. Yay. Yeah. I think self-investment is so important, especially for women. And I'm glad I got to share that here. The final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I would say the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about is honestly being able to be on your deathbed someday in the future and not say, oh, I thought about that or I almost did that, but saying like, I did that and I spent my time doing that. And I think that just the idea that like, I will be able to say that whenever my time comes, I think that's really cool. And I'm so glad I did it. And I also think the value is that when things get really hard and there will be times that your passion does not feel like your passion anymore. It does not feel like your passion every day. Sometimes it sucks. The core reason why you're doing this thing, why you're pursuing this passion, as long as you have something that represents that, whether it's talking to your community or doing speaking events or engaging with people that have benefited from the things you do, that passion will get you through the most gross and annoying and frustrating parts of whatever you encounter in this venture. I love it. So well said. Oh, Vanessa, thank you so much. It has been so awesome to chat with you. Where can we learn more about you and Social Cypher? Yeah, so you can find our website at socialciphergame.com. That's cypher with an I. And then you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Social Cypher. You can also find us on LinkedIn. I mean, you can connect with me, Vanessa Castaneda-Gill on LinkedIn. Come on over. Let's link up and do the thing. Let's link up. I love it. We'll leave the links in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Boys, everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.